0: Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guest is the CEO of the Nevada Independent, John Ralston. I didn't know he had such a fancy title, James. Together we'll you. be taking a look at what we can expect there in the midterms. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write in to politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Pliticon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the links to our sponsors, Hold On Bags, The Jordan Harbinger Show, and Miracle Brand in the show notes. We thank you for supporting our sponsors. It helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, James, this is a crazy quilt political season. It started off where it was going to be historical. Republicans are going to take over the House and the Senate. Uh, Then after the abortion uh, decision in June, it looked like the Democrats were making a comeback. Still looks that way. Uh, But uh, it just is—it's really kind of remarkable uh, that uh, one day you'll feel uh, uh, optimistic, and the next day you're not so sure. One example, uh, Washington Post, uh, ABC poll came out uh, last weekend, showed the Republicans— uh, preferred by five points in the congressional preference and democrats said oh my god that is a disaster then two days later ann selzer as good as it gets in polling comes out with a poll for grinnell college it shows the democrats up four in congressional preference politico comes out uh, wednesday with one that shows them up two. what's happening out there james I
1: don't, did the post poll say
0: plus five Republican? Well, that's what I, I I thought it was only one or two, and then I looked at it today, and they were all saying it was plus five. But whatever it was, it was plus Republicans.
1: Oh, yes, I. You know, the first thing is people. Maybe we expect too much out of Poland. You know, particularly Poland this far out, and uh, I've just never been in a race where you don't get some bad polls at some point. And when you get them, you know, you they, they feel bad. And then you say, well, I shouldn't have worried about it. But every now and then you see one in, you know, it's like that Ann Seltzer poll in Iowa in 2020 that showed that Trump went Iowa by a lot and losing the Senate seat. And well, that probably might be a bad poll. It wasn't. It was a good poll. But uh, you're right. I, I, Ann Seltzer poll, I think, is carries more weight than than any public poll that i see but yeah you know on the whole that's why people pay attention to averages because they kind of account for this
0: yeah and i think look it's uh, less than six weeks out things can change uh, uh, you've noted many times that you, if you have six toss-up races, the uh, the natural thing to do is say three will go one way, three will go the other way. No, that's not the way it usually happens. Usually, five go one way and right. one the other. But I, I, I just looking at everything right now, I would say the odds favor the Democrats keeping the Senate and the Republicans keeping the House. Though uh,
1: it, you know, both it, it it could reverse in both places. I, I guess I. I I, I, and everybody says that, that, that the Republicans are favored to win the House. But if you look at the generics, it doesn't – I don't know if you could say – obviously, the Democrats need some more votes than Republicans to keep the House. It's just the way it, – it. trust me, it, it's less than it used to be. But some people say two. Some people say three. Well, that's about where it's sitting now. And uh, – some some of these interference campaigns that I, I, I totally supported, that some people were gassed about, I see our friend Jeff Garum totally supports it, uh, couldn't make the difference. You know, if the yeah. Democrats keep keep it by a couple of three seats, you, you're going to be able to say that. But uh, it, it's just so ingrained that the Republicans are the favorite, and they have been for a long time, and a lot of things do favor them. But I guess it's fair to say they're a slight favorite, but no, no more than a slight favorite.
0: Well, but sick. but you no, know, four months ago it was 80, 90 percent uh, the Republicans uh, would win. Now the Democrats, I don't know what it is, James, they got a 30, 40 percent shot at winning. Yeah, that ain't yeah. bad. It's, right, not bad. It's better. It's better than it was. That's right, all I can tell you. Right. I can't tell you how good it is. And James, I, let me I, switch. I can't tell you if it's going to stay. Let me switch subjects on you. It's something you know a lot about. The hurricane season is yeah. on us. Fiona wreaked havoc on Puerto Rico. Uh, and Canada, and and uh, now Ian is threatening Florida, devastated uh, Cuba. As a Louisiana, you follow this closely. Give us sure. a sense of what we're to expect.
1: Well, okay, so let's remember a couple of things. Number one is you don't – the bad side of a storm in the northern hemisphere is the upper right-hand quadrant. Now, what – if, to the extent there was any good news out of this, Tampa looks like it, you know, it's going to get – a lot of flooding and street flooding and it's going to get bad weather and there'll be something but it, it's not going to be catastrophic because tampa is on the left hand side of the eye so fort myers in naples are going to get it a lot worse than tampa and it's almost certain to come uh ashore at a, at a place called boca grande which is a nice Barrier Island that will not the Boca Grande will not exist tomorrow. I promise you. The one other point I want to make is is that we're accustomed to Category one, two, three, four, five. Uh, This storm a five is 157 mile an hour wind. This storm has 155. But the better scholarship and people say that the wind speed is just one indication. The size of the storm, the amount of water that it has. It is also can be even as as important or more important than the wind, and by all of these categories, this this storm is a five. Yeah. All right. It, it may be two miles an hour short on the wind, but by every other category, it's going to be a five, and it is going to cause extensive damage to Southwest Florida. Uh, but the the only I, I guess you'd say good news on that, but but the, the nightmare scenario. Is that of any storm? Is you have a slow-moving storm along the west coast of Florida? There's so many people live there, and it's so vulnerable. Uh, and you almost had this, and it and it, it and it just stays there and pounds it. But it this is going to cause a lot of damage. No one dodged a bullet, but they could have. They're getting hit with a bullet, but they could have get gotten hot with a hit with a artillery shell if it had hit come come ashore uh, at Clearwater. Whew, that would have been bad. This is. Bad. This is horrible, but it could have been worse. Yeah, James, we've had hurricanes for ages, uh,
0: forever probably. How much of what's happening in the last couple of years uh, and, and this year is going to is affected by climate change?
1: Well, I've, obviously, I have to go with other people say, and the, the, what what they're saying is is the number of hurricanes. Uh, not necessarily up, but the, the the amount of water that they hold is definitely up. Uh, y- you know, it was an interesting piece of, uh, of weather research in Louisiana. They determined that it doesn't rain any more often than it used to. It just rains harder. And mm-hmm. you look at what happened. Hurricane Harvey was a— but it was a real telling event where it was just slow moving and it stayed there and just dumped water after water after water. There, there was some chance that this was going to be a really slow moving storm. But thank God, I don't think that the hope it holds up where you, you, you want them as bad as they are, you want them to get the hell in there and get out. All right. And yeah. the forward the forward speed does add something to, to to the wind levels, but that's not the problem. You, you don't want that thing sitting over you for three days dumping water. And there, there's one more point I want to make about this storm. It's going to get back—it looks like it's going to get back out in the Atlantic for a little while and come back ashore in Charleston. Uh, if for any reason that storm tracks a little further uh, east— and stays over water for a longer time. It, 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 I don't think the East Coast is out of the woods. I mean, I know Charleston is not out of the woods, but what they're supposed to get is a strong top, strong t- tropical storm. But the, these things, you know, they're, they're living organisms. You think of a hurricane, you, you think of it, it. it's like anything, it tries to survive. And the way it survives is over warm water and warm air. And it will seek that out. Wherever it goes, it's just, it just it acts like like a living thing. It acts like it acts like an animal. It does everything it can to survive.
0: And what's the so, October outlook for your area
1: uh, for yeah, it, uh, well, Louisiana, Mississippi, Mississippi? Right now, there's a strong high pressure. That's why this that's why the storm is going aboard at Florida. If you look at the weather map, you'll see there's a high pressure area, which extends all the way south of Louisiana. And again, that storm is a living organism. It does not like dry air. It does not like high pressure. It does not like cooler air. So it's go- So fortunately, if we get this high-pressure area to stay over, you know, every day that we have this high pressure, it's one more day that we get to November the 1st, which is traditionally... Uh, you know the the level it used to be. If you got through October the fifth, you were fine. That's not true anymore. So it it it, it I, I would we, we we had a mercifully tame year in the northern Gulf of Mexico, but I, that don't predict much. But I just hope this high pressure stays around. As long as it stays around, we're fine.
0: Amen. Amen. Okay. James, you remember the one word, plastic. It's everywhere we look, and not enough is being done about it. Over 100 billion plastic bags are being used and then thrown away every year. That plastic bag you see in the gutter or floating in a stream or washed up on the beach, multiply that by 100 billion, yikes, right? But there's a better way, and it starts with a better bag. That's why we're proud to support Hold On Bags. They're on a mission to be a key part of the growing movement away from single-use plastic. Single-use plastic creates so much waste, and every expert and every bit of common sense tells us it's the single worst kind of plastic at every stage. Production, disposal, and decomposition. Plastic bags are doing harm to our earth, our water, and even our bodies. That's why Hold On Trash and Kitchen Bags are heavy-duty, plant-based, non-toxic, and 100% home compostable. That means they break down in weeks, not decades, all without filling our landfills or polluting our oceans. We all need to take action to start healing the planet. And I'll tell you, hold on bags are a great way to start. I just got, they just sent some to me last week, and they are terrific, and they look great, too. They're green, James. Uh, They are really, I mean, this is something that's important.
1: This is a great and and they're exactly right the The plastic bags that end up in our in our waterways and our landfills everywhere else is, is, is appalling, and this is a superb product
0: well you'll you'll be delighted, and I thank you, Hold on bags for sending them to us. We really love them. You know it makes daily chores something you can feel good about, one bag at a time to shop. Plant-based bags and replace single-use plastics all over your home. Visit holdonbags.com and enter War Room at checkout to save 20% off your order. Sustainability has never been more simple. That's holdonbags.com, H-O-L-D-O-N, bags.com, and enter War Room to receive 20% off your order. Small things can lead to lasting change if we stop and say, hold on. Thank you hold on for sponsoring this episode. You also can find the link in our show notes Hey James, you know in a number of states there are there's a go-to expert on politics, a journalist, a political analyst. there is no better go-to, expert than the Silver State's John Roston I don't, I wouldn't think of writing a sentence about Nevada without calling John Rauston. Uh, he is terrific. I didn't know until today he was the CEO, so I'm really impressed now. But, uh, John, there's a number of top races out in Nevada, but most eyes in Washington Are focused on the Senate race, where uh, 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 Catherine Cortez Masto is one of the two most endangered Democratic incumbents, running against Adam Laxalt, grandson of the state's legendary one of the state's legendary politicians, Paul Laxalt. How do you size up that race with less than six weeks to go?
2: Uh, You know, uh, Alan James, it's kind of a microcosm of what's going on in this country, in in the sense that. Yeah. The race is a toss up. It's every poll I've seen, public and private, shows it within a few points. Uh, either way, there's some thought among the Republicans that it's starting to tilt a little bit towards Laxalt, but uh, I wouldn't make any definitive uh, pronouncements in late September about a race this close. But the reason I say it's a microcosm is that Catherine Cortez-Masso, while she may not be that well-known uh, na- nationally, is kind of the workhorse, not a showhorse kind of senator. She is, she's very disciplined. She's running, uh, actually, what Republicans and Democrats here agree is is the best campaign in the state in many ways. And she's running against a a, a guy who, in, in Adam Laxalt, who I know everyone in the national media talks about Blake Masters or Herschel Walker or Dr. Oz as being these terrible candidates. Adam Laxalt is right there with them. He is a terrible candidate in many, many different ways. And yet he is within the margin of error in a purple state, uh, partly because we're a purple state, but also partly because of the general national atmospherics. Biden's numbers are terrible here. Uh, we have the highest gas prices are very close to it in the country. And so she's having to wear a lot of that. John, one of the keys
0: will be the Latino vote as much as 20 percent. Uh, it has uh, traditionally been a uh, decidedly Democratic vote. She's the only Latino woman, I think, in the United States Senate uh, yet Republicans say they are making, a, have made uh, strides with the Hispanic, male voters in particular. How, how well does each have to do with that, uh, with the Latino vote in Nevada
2: so, you know, the Republicans see an opportunity this time, uh, Al, uh, uh, because they, they see some of these polling data. They see Hispanics started maybe to move away from the Democratic Party in the 2020 election. And so suddenly they've discovered, what, there's Spanish-language television and radio? Uh, we should get on that. And so they, they are starting to do that a little bit now. Kevin um, uh, Cortez Masto is the first a- 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 Latina ever elected to the U.S. Senate, as as you mentioned. And uh, she has not worn that on her sleeve, uh, though, but she's starting to do that a little bit more uh, in this race. Now, there's you guys both know how difficult it is to poll in Nevada. The the last poll I saw showed Catherine Cortez Masto with a 19-point lead uh, among Hispanics in Nevada, but she wasn't even at 50%. It was 44 to 25. So that that's a warning beacon for her, although generally in this state, Hispanics, uh, uh, and, and again, you can't generalize about any uh, uh, dem- demographic being monolithic, but they generally decide later than most voters. And so I think they feel uh, that, th- that they're on track. And listen, if she doesn't get much more than 50 percent in, in, in ab- among Latinos, she's going to lose the race.
0: Right. Uh, John, Nevada had one of the most effective Democratic parties and organizations in America, led by the late Harry Reid. Now, last year, earlier this year, the left-wing Democratic socialists have taken over the party. That has to hurt Democrats, doesn't it? I
2: think it does because uh, the so-called Reed machine, which was legendary here in the state and was copied in other states in many uh, different ways, uh, was able to, to spend a fortune through the party uh, registering voters, then turning them out and essentially bank all these votes in the two-week early voting period that Election Day, they couldn't change the outcome. That's happened in cycle after cycle uh, here. Uh, now they can't use what uh, uh, Harry Reed, uh, who, by the way, I'm writing a book about, uh Use the uh, use the party as a legalized money laundering operation, right? there's different uh, l- rules that apply to parties, so they've had to set up a parallel organization that doesn't quite have the same freedom. And the registration numbers are not what they used to be. Uh, the Democrats' lead of less than three percent overall now over Republicans is the lowest it's been in a long, long time. And so there's great worry out there uh, that that uh, not only because of branding, because you know Republicans always call Democrat socialist, as you both of you well know, but now they can really say it because the socialists run the Democratic Party here. So they tried to separate from that. The parallel organization called Nevada Democratic Victory has done a fairly effective job in going after Laxalt and, and, and the Republican gubernatorial nominee as well, but it's just not quite the same. James, uh, well,
1: <clears throat> I'll just make an observation. I'll go right to the question it is uh, the DSA people. So let me get this straight. We have one of the most successful state parties in the United States, and let's take it over because it's just winning too goddamn many elections. And so let's take it over. Let's let's turn it into something extreme left, and we can lose and then talk about what ethical people we are. It <laughs> makes no goddamn sense. So, uh, so John, I, obviously, I talked to Scott Fairchild last night, Masto's campaign manager, and he pointed out, and he wanted me to talk to you about this, that they are, like, five other candidates on the ballot, and you don't need 50 to win. It, what number do you think is is going to end up being a winning number election night in Nevada?
2: That's a really good question, James. Um, uh, and, and, and Scott Frailchild is right to bring that up, because even if it's a dead heat between Adam Laxalt and Catherine Cortez Masto, there are not only other candidates on the ballot, but don't forget we have this unique and crazy thing in Nevada called none of these candidates for all right. statewide races. And so people who are disgusted with both candidates, can't make up their minds, whatever, can throw their votes there. So uh, it's going to be less than than 50 percent. Adam Laxalt has never gotten close to 50 percent in his uh, two statewide races. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that the mid to the high 40s can probably win this race, James, and probably will. I mean, 48, 46. Something, something like that could be the result.
1: Right, right. I, th- I think. Uh, I think Scott thinks it could be like between forty-six and forty-seven. I mean, he did, he didn't say that, but uh, she did, she didn't get fifty the last time that she ran. That's just that's that's an as- a real aspiration. How it's widely believed that the governor is in the Democratic governor, Governor Cicilline, who I did a fundraiser at my place in New Orleans for. Is is he running behind Mastos? Is, is, is that perception correct? Because that's certainly the perception that that a lot of people have.
2: Well, I, I will use again the caveat that it's very difficult to poll in Nevada. Oh, gotcha. And I trust very few pollsters, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in Nevada. But generally, uh, that has not been true. Uh, right. James, that Cisilak is doing a little bit better than Catherine Cortez Masto oh, wow. uh, in, in in a lot of the polls, and the Cisilak campaign, I think, is more confident, uh, or Democrats are more confident about Cisilak than they are about Catherine Cortez Masto. Which, by the way, I'm not sure is the right uh, frame of mind to be in uh, this time. But he, there are polls that show him as much as four points ahead. Five points ahead of Joe Lombardo, who's the sheriff of Clark County, who was is, who is the Republican uh, nominee. And what's really interesting, James, and you'll, you'll, you'll find this interesting, is I thought at the beginning that the, the Republicans would have a much easier time of tying Catherine Cortez Masto to Biden than Sisolak for obvious reasons. Right. But right. the uh, almost the entire campaign, uh, not the entire campaign, but a lot of the campaign of Joe Lombardo, the Republican running for governor, is to tie Sisolak. To Biden uh, and, and and his low numbers here, and they have Catherine Cortez has done a very good job of trying to distinguish herself from Biden, but she still can't get out from under the you know thirty seven percent approval rating. So,
1: and I you know, I'll just get your view, the general view, and I I, I kind of hold it myself. Is that Biden is kind of detached in, in, in every election, the president, you know, they'd every candidate into Clinton in ninety four to do the same thing to Obama in in two thousand and ten it 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 seems as though Biden is somewhat detached from people's preference in voting for for Senate, governor, house. more I'm not totally detached, but but more detached than
2: usual. Is that your observation? Are you saying that the people are, are are seeing him as detached or that he's actually detached? from? That? What I'm saying is is that a lot of
1: people who don't approve of Biden are still voting for the democratic candidate. it's not a, it's, it usually they're kind of joined at the hip. It seems this cycle, uh, you know, for reasons that'll be explored in depth if they hold up, that Biden, that the democratic candidate is not as tied to Biden in certain sort of vote preference.
2: Well, you you know, um, campaigns matter, as you know better than anybody, James. And so the campaigns that are doing that more successfully on the Republican side are going to have uh, more success with it, I think. Uh, listen, all Adam Laxalt can do is talk about Joe Biden and and, and, and Catherine uh, Cortez right. Masto. Um, how effective it is, I'm not so sure. I think, she, as I said, she's done a good job to, distinguishing herself from Biden. But uh, I don't think it's, uh, even though they're very happy with themselves and the Republican Party and the governor's race tying Sisolak to Biden for no apparent real nexus, uh, I don't think it's working. All right,
1: so I'm, I'm going to turn back to Al to make an observation and then a, a, a quick question. I've done a couple of like Zoom events at Mastos, and she's a pretty good candidate. I mean, there's just this general feeling that people get that she's not. I thought I mean, I've seen a lot of candidates before and I'm going to say that she's Bill Clinton or something, but she's pretty damn good, I thought. (laughs) I
2: I think you're right, actually, James. She's a much better candidate, for instance, than when she first got into politics and ran for Attorney General. Much better candidate than she was in uh, 2016 when she first won uh, in, in a relatively close race. She's very disciplined. She can actually show some fire now, which she uh, hasn't been able to do really and just let, let let it all out as she has in the past. Uh, as I said, uh, there are a lot of people, smart operatives, some of whom you know, James, and, and uh, others on the Republican side, who think that her campaign is the best in the state.
1: So I've I, I, I got to tell one story, Alan, because you're involved in it. So so John. Uh, Al, Al and Mayor Oscar Goodman went to school together in the main, <laughs> main line of Philadelphia. So we were out in Las Vegas, and we had lunch for him. And I, I said, uh, you know, of course, it was McCarran Airport. And I said, uh, I said, Mayor, tell me, was was, was Senator McCarran, was, was he— but is he as corrupt as Senator Gary was in The Godfather? He said, oh, no, James, he was a lot more corrupt.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was an awful guy. He was oh, an awful guy. He was actually a Democrat, too,
1: I think. Yeah, he was. Definitely. Thank oh. God y'all changed the name of that airport. <laughs> yeah. One of
0: the great communist witch hunters of all time. Yeah. James, James uh, Oscar, also one of his great, one of the things he was most proud of in Las Vegas was the Mob Museum. Is that still
2: there, John, still flourishing? It is, and it's, from what I understand, it's doing better than 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 ever, uh, Al. And uh, a lot of people, including me, by the way, didn't think it was going to be successful, but it's been pretty successful.
0: God, Oscar, love that uh, Oscar, who himself was as straight as could be, represented a lot of a lot of mobsters. Uh, let me ask you a couple more things. There's a, there's a few congressional races out there that also um, are are being contested. Uh, is there any any outlook for change there?
2: So, you know, we have uh, three uh, uh, supposedly um, uh, possible flips to the Republicans here out of the four races. One of our congressional races isn't a race at all, but the other three uh, uh, are, uh, and, and, you know, there's some internal bickering among among Democrats, especially Dina Titus, who is, uh, who is, who complains that they took too many Democrats out of her district to shore up Stephen Horsford and Susie Lee. Uh, Those races all appear to be close. Uh, but I still believe if you look at the registration numbers uh, and if James what James said is correct, is that if, if Biden is getting detached in, in in some of these races, and I think he is in some of those, then they, they, they should all win. All three of those Democrats should win. But Susie Lee is probably in the most jeopardy in, in, in the swing district in Nevada. Right. Uh, you know, we talked
0: earlier about how Laxalt and other Republicans were hitting hard on inflation and high gas prices, and that's that's clearly understandable. How about abortion? Is that an issue out
2: there? Well, it's become an issue here since Dobbs, of course. I mean, uh, I still feel that if I ran into Catherine Cortez Masto on the on the uh, street and said, boy, the Raiders really are terrible this year, she would say, do you know what Adam Laxall's position is on abortion? I mean, <laughs> that's essentially all she wants to talk about, and with good reason, I think. Uh, and, and the governor, by the way, is starting to use that a lot, too, because Joe Lombardo has had some conflicting statements Uh, on abortion, Uh, how much difference is that going to make uh, in those races? that could be very close, it, it could make a difference. Again, I'll, I'll repeat the cliche again, campaigns matter. Whoever executes this uh, well over the home stretch. And let's not forget something else that you, that, that you mentioned, Al, this so-called democratic machine that has been so effective in turning out especially base voters in early voting. We're going to know when early voting starts in, 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 in about three weeks whether that's happening. If that's not happening, that's going to be a real warning sign for Democrats up and down the ticket.
0: I believe Nevada had a referendum in the 90s on abortion, which which, on abortion rights, which carried rather decisively, didn't it?
2: Yeah, and that's that's I'm glad you brought that up. In nineteen ninety there was the the pro choice forces put on the ballot the, the actual statute, which you can do, which is a twenty-four week uh, uh statute, and it passed overwhelmingly two to one. All the polling shows that that Nevada remains a solidly two to one pro choice state. But this this is what the Republicans are doing now, is they're saying it's settled law in Nevada. You can't change it. It, it can only be changed by a referendum. Now Laxalt is foolishly said he would try to overturn that referendum and he wants a 13-week Um, uh, 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 abortion law but but, um, Lombardo has said he supports the will of the people don't talk about abortion it's settled law here now of course there are things that could happen a federal ban is possible and you can still do things as a governor you can propose other kinds of, of, of laws that limit access to abortion and so the Democrats are saying no 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 it's not settled but they are trying to use that referendum that you referred to Al to try to take that issue off the table
0: one more before turning back to James. Are both Lombardo and Laxalt Trumpers?
2: Laxalt um, uh, is a complete Trumper. He ran the Trump campaign here. Uh, He was the leader of the big lie right after the election uh, and and he's even said that he's going to sue in this election just to make the uh, election closer if he thinks he needs to. He he has been that offhanded about it. Um, Lombardo in the primary had a bunch of of, of opponents as you may or may not know, including former Senator Dean Heller and a real true out-and-out conspiracy theorist Trumper, lawyer from Reno by the name of Joey Gilbert, who was the natural person to get the Trump endorsement. Gilbert started to get some traction, and then suddenly someone got to Trump, and you may, you guys may know that Chris Carr, Trump's former political director, is working for Lombardo, and suddenly Trump endorsed. Lombardo. Lombardo's not a Trumper, but now he's trying to thread the needle, right? He took the guy's endorsement. And in something that both of you guys will appreciate, he came out very early uh, and stood next to the sheriff of Clark County. Remember, he's the sheriff of by far the largest county. And the first thing Trump says that got all the headlines, this place is a cesspool of crime. (laughs) This is what Trump says, standing (laughs) next to the sheriff he just endorsed. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh God! You know you can't you you can't make a movie about it. Go ahead, James.
1: So, so uh, John, t- t- tell us a little bit about your book about one of my favorite people that ever lived. Senator to Harry Reid, and uh, what's what's the timing on the book? And it, you know what, what what what's the sort of storyline here? Tell us a little bit of tease you well, a little bit l- first.
2: Y- y- listen, this has been. Uh an even more massive and exhausting project than I ever thought it would be, uh, James, to tell this guy's story. He is—he is, he is uh, I think, I can make this case pretty easily, the most influential, powerful elected official in Nevada history, and one of the most consequential figures nationally of the last quarter century or so that that he was in office. But there's so much more that even I. Uh, didn't know about him, and I knew him as well as anybody uh, in the media, certainly, and I finally got him to agree to it, and he did 24 Zoom in- uh, interviews with me um, uh, before he passed away, and I got a lot of great stuff, and I've, I've interviewed uh, a lot of different people, his colleagues, uh, 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 former President Obama, Hillary Clinton, a lot of other people to talk about, so I have a lot of great material, uh, but it's it's been a slog, and so um, I'm going to turn in the manuscript, I hope, I hope, uh, in February sometime. But as far as when it gets published, my guess is, and you guys know this about books, there's going to be a lag time. And you know, those damn editors, they want to edit. And so that, that'll that happen uh, as well. So my guess is it'll come out in early 2024.
1: Well, I, I look forward to it. And, and, and knowing you and knowing Senator read and I I think it's going to be by far the authoritative biography of Senator Reed, maybe of anybody. And you're right, what a what a consequential figure and a very successful political figure. Uh, so I, I can't, I honestly can't wait for the book at all. And you know the other thing about Senator Reed, it's a great story outside it, of. Oh yeah, and he, by the way, very good. He, Susan McHugh was the youngest female chief of staff and history of the senate at the time uh, he recruited females all over Nevada Nevada uh, maybe still is I know it was the only majority female legislature state legislature in the country it is I mean he's got a, a a real good record of bringing a lot of people into the party
0: it's all true well, uh, John I was going to say uh, James if James and I are still around kicking uh, when that book comes out, uh, the first, uh, uh, right after it comes out, we want to have you as a guest on the show just to talk about that book. Okay, James? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, but
2: Al, Al, I think you got to go further than that. You should promise me a book party in Washington, and I want one in New Orleans as well, James.
1: All right. We'll definitely do that. We okay, do I guess we got program. it. Yes, yes, we're yeah. on. We're on. I we're on. I, I, I might come out. I might be out there for election day, so I'll call you. Oh, you should do that. I, and and, and I, if you really I understand, there are different places, a lot of places to eat in Las Vegas.
0: If are you are really me. push me, John, I might even get. I might even get you on my wife's show. Then you'd really. Yeah, use up your 30.
2: influence.
0: <laughs> it's limited. Hey, you have been a terrific guest. Uh, we've learned a lot more about the Silver State than uh, than we knew. 20 minutes ago, and uh, we're going to keep in touch for the next five and a half weeks. So thank you, John Ralston. Always a thank pleasure to meet you guys. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger Show, one of our favorite podcasts long before they started sponsoring us. The Jordan Harbinger Show combines in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds like Gary Kasparov and Mark Cuban. Jordan also does Feedback Friday episodes to respond to listener questions about everything from conventional conundrums like asking for a raise at work to doozies like helping a family member escape a cult. It's great how he takes the time to connect with his listeners. It's one of our favorite parts of the show. Plus, it's a great compliment to this podcast here. You might hear the latest news about the midterm elections and analysis on what to expect in swing states. On The Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll learn useful information from a heavy-hitting interview with Chris Foss, a former FBI negotiator, with brilliant insights into keeping your cool and closing the deal when everything's on the line. And that's just the beginning.
1: It is a must-listen along with our show, James. It really is. And, and I was a fan before before they sponsored it. And what, what I like about that guy is, is he's a, what they call a polymath. It, it, it go, I, yeah, our topics are ten, generally and happily so. We tend to be mostly political. He's it's not mostly any one thing. I mean, he's all over the map. And he's very knowledgeable and very curious guy. And you, you just learn a lot every time you listen to it. And whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving
0: advice to a listener, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way, or it could be just discovering a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard, B-I-N-G-E, as in how you want to start catching up on his episodes, and are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find the link in our show notes. All right, now the always excellent questions from our listeners. James, uh, we're going to start off with Kate in West Seattle, Washington. Uh, She's a big fan of the show, and she's a fan of Magic Spoon. Yay, Kate. How likely, she wants to know, how likely is it that DeSantis committed trafficking and fraud? As a policy, doesn't moving uh, Silees make the job of, of ICE and immigration
1: courts much harder? Obviously, it does. And the the morality of taking asylum seekers from Venezuela and lying to them and sending them to Cape Cod and promise some stuff, I, I, I know they have a hell of a civil case. And they ought to sue him for as much as they can possibly get. That, that's what I think. I I think his civil exposure is considerable. And there's something that's going on in politics. And you see it in DeSantis, you know, it, it lets go to Massachusetts. You see Gavin Newsom putting billboards in Florida and Texas. Uh, you, you see the Oz Fetterman campaign is, about. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, they criticize his tattoos or something. It, it's, it, the American politics is, starting to get away from what it should be about voters and people and it's become too gimmicky I think but in this sense, you know gimmicks are just gimmicks this was a cruel hoax and I do think that DeSantis has some civil liability from these people for false premise you, you just can't lie like that to people it clearly was a hoax
0: he he, he uh, hired a plane with taxpayers money uh, these right. uh, asylum seekers aren't coming to Florida; they're coming to Texas. So he goes to Florida. Uh, they lie to them about uh, the great benefits right. they're going to get in Massachusetts. The plane touches down in Florida, so he can say they came from Florida for uh, just a brief moment. So I, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I, I just, I guarantee you, there's plenty of lawyers, uh, you know, plenty lawyers in Florida, not, like nothing better than the Sue Ron DeSantis, so. right. Kenny in San Diego, California said, let's assume for a moment
0: the Democrats retain their majority in the Senate but lose the House. Even if a majority of Democratic senators voted to eliminate the filibuster, wouldn't their legislative wish list be dead in arrival because the Republican-controlled House would reject their proposals? Yes, Kenny, you're right. And look, um, even if they keep the House and they get to 52, 53 uh, Democratic senators— they aren't going to eliminate the filibuster. The question is, uh, can you create a couple carve-outs for voting rights or something like that and set somewhat different rules? Uh, And uh, that may well be possible. Uh, and, And let me just tell you, on this matter of the filibuster, nobody is a virgin. Uh, I mentioned it before when Mitch McConnell talks about how sacred this is. He didn't think it was so sacred in 2017 when he changed it for Supreme Court justices. So it's going to be, uh, if the Democrats keep a majority and they keep the House, uh, a majority in the Senate and they keep the House, I think they'll try to carve out for a couple issues.
1: James. Yeah, I think also like, you know, ambassadors and, ju- you know, that, that kind of stuff. It's, it's just just the Senate does that. So right, uh, well, it, you
0: can get them with a majority vote now.
1: Okay, so you're right. It's not if you don't keep the house, it's going to be marginally good if you if you have the Senate in terms of the filibuster. But you know, the the other thing is is that they don't keep the house. They're going to shut down this January sixth committee. Right? They could just turn over everything they have to a Senate committee because they're not through. They're not through, and they made the right choice to cancel a hearing uh, because of the storm. Uh, I think that was smart because this, the storm is going to drive the news cycle between now and the end of the week. So the, you, yep. you you want that 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 was a that was a good move they made. But the big thing about it, if you keep the Senate, they can preserve and continue that investigation, which is really critical. And from everything that I am told, they're just there's more stuff every day coming over the transit. They they they're having a hard time digesting all the stuff they're getting. So you don't want that thing to go away. Mm-hmm. James, next, Pete in Raleigh,
0: North Carolina, uh, asked, does the president's approval rating even matter? The Democrats who disapprove of Biden are not going to vote Republican in 2024, and Biden's low approval ratings seem to be having zero effect on the midterms. We talked about that with, um, with John Ralston, and I think, Pete, you're on to something. I think there's more decoupling than there has been traditionally. You certainly see it in your state of North Carolina. Sherry Beasley, the Democratic candidate, is running a good seven or eight points ahead of Biden's approval ratings. Uh, and I think the one, the one thing that low approval ratings used to do, it would it would bring down the Democratic it would bring down the vote of the party in power, the party that had the low the presidential had the low approval rating uh, because it was it was it was a drag. It was that uh, people were despondent about things. I think because of abortion and Trump and another a number of other issues, I don't think the Democratic turnout is going to be down because of Joe Biden's approval ratings, James.
1: You know, I, I, I don't either you know what you worry it's it's so been coupled to presidential approval last year elections and this year significantly less however I'd much rather be running seven points ahead of 44 than seven points ahead of 40 <laughs> yeah <laughs> you yeah. know uh, I I it, it certainly thus far seems to be less significant than it has traditionally been I, I, I do think Dobbs had something to do with that I do think that the the Raise a thin Democratic majorities, make them less threatening to people, maybe. I don't know. But it it is a correct observation as of now that presidential approval is not correlated to congressional vote as it typically has been. That, that yep. is a, that's a very defensible and true statement.
0: Frank in Broward County, Florida— all right. uh, asked, do you think that uh, Latita James, the New York Attorney General, overreacted with her massive uh, attack on Trump from several different angles? Is there a risk of blowback? Frank adds that he bought the uh, Raycon earbuds and they are fabulous. Frank, I don't think so. Uh, this is First of all, let's remember, this is a civil uh, case where uh, there is a different burden of proof. And secondly, just scanning what she had. I mean... The the amount of lies, duplicities, and seeming fraud that Trump committed, uh, you know, the, just one of the easiest to describe is saying that his his uh, the condo he owned was thirty one thousand square feet when it was really only eleven thousand square feet. He uh, James is an old expression, uh, old southern expression of of lying when the truth would be better. Poor poor old Trump doesn't know what the truth is, so he lied about everything. And I think he's got considerable civil exposure here.
1: Well. I do too, and remember that Russellberg has to testify truth here. You know, he's going to jail for seven years, and they apparently think a lot of their case. in this, I do know, in civil litigation, you get everything. There's nothing that they're not going to get. You, if you take the fifth, it's a neg- the, the, it is. The fact, find a fact is permitted to make a, a, a negative inference from that. Well, you know, Trump ain't not about to, and they will call him as a witness. He already has taken it, what, four hundred? times? No, he's taken it in the deposition. They'll, bring, yeah. they'll, they'll drag his ass in there again and make him take take the fifth again. Don't worry about it. And it's so bad. It's so bad that he had to, he had to put himself in a position where to find a fact and make a negative inference, because I'm sure his lawyer said, man, you can't testify about nothing. Because, because as John Dowd said, who represented him first, is you can't put him in front of a deposition. He'd lie about it. He, can't, he don't know the truth if it hit him in the head. And, yeah, I don't think, A, I think there's more to find out and more to learn, and there's more to be shocked about.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. Vicky in Tempe, Arizona, uh, wants to know, how likely would it be if Biden decides not to run for a second term that he would anoint someone like Pete Buttigieg or any other candidate other than Kamala Harris?
1: It's highly unlikely, and I don't know, no, I don't, if, even if he anointed Harris, uh, I, 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 I don't think he would do that. I mean, he would certainly say nice things about it, I, and I don't know if it how impactful it would be. I really don't yeah I, yeah, I, don't. I agree if, yeah, if, I, if he doesn't run, that's a wide open race absolutely
0: yeah k b in Portland, Oregon, wants to know is there a way to arrange for Texas and Florida taxpayers to pay for busing immigrants? Uh, to Cape Cod and other places. There are 11.2 million job openings in this country, and a bunch of those are in the food processing. There's more work that people are willing to do, work, and Florida set aside 12 million for this purpose already. Why not take them up on it? Well, KB, first of all, one of the great myths is that it's only Texas, and not Florida, but Texas and Arizona, that are suffering from uh, uh, people coming across the border. There are more people in in uh, protective custody, I suppose you'd call it, in California than there are in Texas, and there are a lot in New York. This is a really complicated issue. Most of these people aren't coming in here because they're bad people. They're coming in here because they're good people uh, trying to get away from bad systems and, and, and repression. So uh, I, I think it's a shame that People like uh, Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis would prefer to demagogue this issue rather than talk about how you find a real solution.
1: The First thing is, this should be a good issue for Democrats. Immigrants are popular. Listen to me. Immigrants are popular. What people don't like is disorder. That upsets them. The, the second thing is, what do you think the solution to this labor shortage is? What, you know, they, they can't find people working in nursing homes. They can't find people to to work in, in in restaurants. They can't find people to work in hotels. Well, why don't the business community who desperately needs this step out front and, and 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 work with people? This country benefits so greatly from immigration. And, you know, when you see these people that are complaining about immigrants, you know, you see people from Kentucky or Tennessee and but no immigrant wants to go to Eastern Kentucky. You don't have to worry. You're totally safe. All right, I promise you. You, you don't. Have, if, if you're in West Virginia, don't worry. They they're not fleeing Venezuela to come. They they, they, they want to go to Houston or they want to go to Miami. Or they want to go to New York or Chicago or something where, where the jobs are. So I I I I, I think. That, This could be a favorable issue for Democrats, but it is uh, the reality. I mean, we're having all these asylum seekers. By the way, one of the things that people want to come to this country is they read the news. They get the news in Guatemala. They see the number of job openings they have in the United States. They see employees, you know, being able to quit. I mean, employees quit find another job. They're not immune to it. Part of the draw here is this strong-ass labor market we got. Yeah, uh, I agree. Final
0: question is from Roy in Afton, Virginia, who asked James, you would know this better than anyone. Is there still a place for cold calls and door-to-door visits in a modern
1: campaign? The answer is probably not as much cold calls, but because you're going to want some information uh, about the voter, but there is, and and if you do it enough, and I'm, I'm I've come to change my mind and be a, a little more for this, <clears throat> it can make a difference. The other thing is, it's just a terrible problem of loneliness in this country. And if you talk to some of these canvases, these people really like that somebody comes by and and, and sees them. Is it going to have a, a massive effect? No, but if it's done, started early and done smartly with the right kind of list, I think it's a bit, I, I used to be very contemptuous of this kind of stuff. I, I am less so today. I'm less yeah. so today. And, you know, you can just see how when you go to the Safeway and you can see this lady ahead of you and she's checking and you get impatient. And you stop and you think, man, that might be one of that lady's one or two Times a day, she has human contact and she wants to, you know, chew the fat with the checkout person. That, that's understandable. And and I, they just, the studies that you see on, you know, we're fortunate because we're old and we have families and we have, you know, shows and we have friends and we get invitations to go to dinner and things. That's not most people's life. It's yeah. really not. It, it's a real freaking problem. And I, to, if you target it right, and particularly, you know, older v- voters, when you, know, you check their voting history, you, 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 you could scrape up a, a, a half a point or two here somewhere.
0: You know, speaking of uh, what you do in political campaigns, uh, I want to mention a tribute uh, this week uh, given to one of the great people we've ever known in first politics and then journalism, Mark Shields of the News Hour, who was a mentor to one James Carville, Ooh, who see. gave a beautiful speech about Mark at that wonderful celebration at Georgetown University this
1: week. Yeah, it was, uh, it was moving to say the least. I think they're going to put it online. It, the thing about Mark Shields is he, he is rare in that in his kind of gut, he was a political operative. He kind of, you know, he worked. And you know, I was fun to see uh, Governor Sabina said. I'd, I'd forgotten that her her dad was John Gilligan, the former governor of Ohio. <laughs> yeah. a mark uh, worked for in two campaigns. It mark it's the pinnacle of journalism. I mean, if you're on the News Hour for thirty freaking years, that's the pinnacle of journalism. All right, you have a syndicated column. That's the pinnacle of journalism. And the point I made, and to make it anybody is H.L. Mencken said the only way for a journalist to look at a politician is down. Well, that was not Mark Shields. And to people in the political business, he has always been a kind of a of a champion. You know, he he, he liked politicians, he liked political operatives. He wasn't against posters or or, or anything else that you, you get this claptrap from. And I, I, made the point with what Mary, and I was telling her about it. She said, "Well, I don't really want to go like he just, you." Know, he didn't hate us, and she was the point she was making—not Mary and James, but just political people. What we did, what we choose to do with our lives. And Mark was always wrote very. He didn't hate anybody really. He wrote very sympathetic about most people, little people, for sure. But he, he wasn't just an a insightful political operative. He wasn't just an insightful commentator. He was just the overall sort of guy. And that joke about when Chris Christie gets in the bathtub, he's so fat the water level in the toilet rises. It's got to be one of the great jokes of all time. <laughs>
0: Well, I there were enough. another, remember when, uh, when Bush appointed Bernie uh, Carrick, he said he's got more s- skeletons than the Harvard Scientific Lab. Right, <laughs> But right. he was the most, he was my dear friend. Uh, he was the most uh, engaging, decent, enjoyable, funny, insightful person I think I've ever known. And, he might uh, be. I, I was, I came home last night, James, and I was, It was just these incredibly mixed emotions. First of all, just thinking about what everyone said, you know, you were just terrific, as were the others, uh, and how wonderful that was and all the memories and all the sadness that he's not with us anymore. But what a great life Mark Shields led.
1: Man, if if that guy, his death could see one thing, he would want to watch his granddaughter play basketball.
0: (laughs) Oh, he would want to watch Francis play basketball, and the great, great the tribute she gave to her grandfather. This, oh, kid, was this it? kid is what, 16 years old. And Carbo, I told you afterwards, you know, you're I mean, you're ready to come out of retirement when she runs for office.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you. By the way, I had a blue blazer and khaki pants on because I that was that was Mark's uniform. <laughs> she about when he went to Costa Rica, he'd even bring a bathing suit. But what a what a wonderful young uh girl, I guess she's a sophomore in high school. And uh, you wanted to go to Wake Forest. I said, Well, I know a pretty good women's college basketball coach <laughs> by the name of Kim Mulkey. At LSU. Oh, right? They're gonna win the national championship yeah. this year coming up. Well they, we they will just, see, they, but but Putin let's just agree that
0: we yeah. we we missed Mark Shields but oh, boy, we were we were lucky to have known and him. We were, oh.
1: And we were lucky to be able at that at that wonderful ceremony. I, I had a spent my time talking to Father Tom Reese who I've always admired and never met before. And the whole time I was at the reception, I just talked to him and I missed, I missed. I didn't see y'all. Maureen Orth sent me a real nice text. I I just missed a lot of people. Uh, uh, I wish I would stay. I wish Mary could have come. She she had COVID and you don't want to get COVID in that crowd. That's not a good thing. Well,
0: you know, there's uh, going to be a tape of it. uh, So everybody can watch it. Okay. Mark Shields, rest in peace. We love you. And you know your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality. If you wake up too hot or too cold, we highly recommend you check out Miracle Brand's self-cooling bed sheets. Inspired by silver-infused fabrics made by NASA, Miracle Brand makes temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Since we started using Miracle Brand's self-cooling bed sheets, you stay comfortable every night all night thanks to Miracle Brand's thermoregulating sheets, unique self-cooling properties. Now, even better, they're self-cleaning. Thanks to their infusion of natural silver that prevents 99.9% of bacterial growth, they stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. So forget all those gross odors. Miracle sheets are also luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands. Their sheets use a premium 500-thread sateen weave that is made with USA-grown Supima cotton, one of the highest-quality cottons in the world, as James has told us. So stop sleeping on bacteria with Miracle brand sheets. Their design makes them so much better for your skin with less bacteria to clog your pores, which means fewer breakouts and other skin problems. They are cool, comfortable and perfect for a great sleep, Mr.
1: Carville. Yeah, they are and, and this uh, this is why I'm so enthusiastic about this product. First of all, anecdotally, I I, I know growing up in, in, in Louisiana that you, you, you when you cool you sleep a lot better. That's that been known that for a long time. It that's not just anecdotal, that is proven I mean, they have all these people that do a lot of sleep research. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people who spend a lot of money on a good night's sleep, and the the ambient temperature is a a real key to getting a good night's sleep. And this is a product that that can control that. It it it. Your common sense tells you you should use this. Science buttresses what your common sense thinks. It's totally validating. Uh, temperature is a large determinant on how good of sleep you get. And this do- deals with that in a very effective way.
0: Yeah, it sure does. So go to trymiracle.com warroom or try it today. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Be sure to use our promo code Warroom at checkout to save 40% off and get three free towels. And Miracle is so confident in their product, it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Brand. Go to trymiracle.com slash warroom and use the code warroom to claim your free three-piece towel set and save 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash warroom. A thank you, Miracle Brand, for sponsoring this episode. You will also can find the links in our show notes. Hey, you know, James, it's, it's hard to imagine uh, a more disingenuous event than the Mitch McConnell-Kristen uh, Cinema political love fest at the McConnell Center this week. The Republican leader said the Arizona Democrat is the most effective freshman senator he has ever seen. Well, she did block tax increases on the rich, like private equity uh, executives. Uh, she also um, pledged full, full-fledged support. For the filibuster, Uh, we know if Republicans take back the White House and the Senate, McConnell, if convenient, would deep-six the filibuster, just as he did in 2017, to win confirmation for Supreme Court justices. Uh, This really was a charade. James, I have, um, for the most part, been not only understanding but even supportive of Joe Manchin. He represents a 70% Republican state. And I think the efforts he's made—I know it doesn't please some Democrats, doesn't please me sometimes—I uh, think he deserves credit. Cinema, it seems to me, is just more interested in playing games, uh, raising money, and getting attention. Uh, and I don't think—I don't think neither cinema nor McConnell really cares much about the institution of the Senate.
1: Well. First of all, I think Senator Manchin has done on the whole a pretty damn good job, <laughs> you know, given the fact that he represents a state that the Democrats hadn't carried a single county in since 2008. Uh, I don't know Senator Cinema, but but I know people that know her and people that watch her, and she's not going to run for re-election as a Democrat in Arizona in 2024. That's pretty clear. She's not going to win the primary. A lot of people think she's just going to run for president. And she's just on this. Which party? And people do say that she is very smart. I mean, she's very smart and she's got an agenda, but her agenda is not a second term is a Democratic senator from Arizona. That's not in the cards. Well, she ran for president, James. Which party? I I don't know. Whichever, Whichever place she would get the most attention. Yeah. Maybe a third party. I, I don't know, and of, of course, the chances that she doesn't—that she's only elected president are, are nil—the chances that she opens a lobbying shop in Washington are about ninety-nine point nine nine
0: nine nine five percent. I and want to find out where you hedge fund you've...
1: people owe her. I mean, obviously, mentioning them put the hedge fund uh, to carry the carried interest in the bill, so she could say, "Well, look, I knocked it out, so I can vote for it." I mean that's, that, You could smell that thing coming from, and raise and raise some campaign money. Right, right. But that that that, I just don't see that she has any intention of running for re-election as a Democrat in 2024 because she will lose the primary by 35, 40 points. I agree. That's that's a good enough outrage for both of us.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at politicon. Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Hold On Bags, The Jordan Harbinger Show, and Miracle Brand in the show notes. We deeply thank you for supporting them. When you do, it helps make this podcast happen. So to keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.